And good morning from me too. It's good to be in church. It's good to worship this God who has redeemed us. My name is John and I'm part of the ministry team here at BPCC and it's just good to be together. As we continue in our series, sermon series, looking at the, the, all of the stories, the historical accounts of what happened as it's recorded in the book of Judges, one of the Old Testament books. Last week, we were in Judges chapter 3. If you want to look up Judges, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5, but last week in chapter 3, we saw how left-handed Ahud was used by God to deliver judgment on Eglon, the obese king of Moab. This king was oppressing God's people. He'd been oppressing them for 18 years. And the people of God called out, please Lord, would you deliver us from this oppression? And God again delivered his people. However, their oppression was the result of their disobeying God and obeying their own desires and falling under idol worship again. Because this seems to be the pattern of humanity, doesn't it? We're in a pickle, we call out to God, help us, God, help us. God helps us, he delivers us. When we look in the rear vision mirror of our lives, we can see that there are times in life when we are not close to God and we repent and we sincerely come back to God. And God redeems us. God, God meets our needs. And everything is going well. And then in comes the slippery slope. And it's not long before we're disobeying God. We're, 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 we're disobeying him but obeying ourselves. This is what happened with God's people. They're in the promised land. They've fallen under idol worship again. And it results in their oppression and in their social decay. God grieved over his people's repetitive cycle of ignoring his plan for their lives. Now, centuries earlier, through Moses, God had rescued his people from the terrible oppression that they had been under in Egypt. Do you remember the story? Way back, we're talking now in the Exodus. God's people had been in Egypt oppressed for 400 plus years and God delivers them through Moses. God promised his people a land of their own, Canaan, the promised land. And Moses was used by God to lead them. They're on their way to go back into their own land, the promised land. Moses was succeeded by Joshua, as Israel's leader. And it was Joshua who actually led them into the promised land. They were to take possession of the land. And now in the book of Judges, we read of the people of God's history for generations that followed, how they were faring in their promised land. And the record tells us that God's people repeated this this cycle of drifting away from God. They kept drifting away from his plan for their lives because God had led them into their promised land for them to be a witness to all of the other nations. 
But they weren't a witness to the other nations. They were just drawn into the other nations. And before they know it, they're calling out to God to be delivered again. In our growth group guide, this booklet that you can get from the Connection Centre, and I know that many of our growth groups are following this guide, Every week in this sermon series you'll find notes on our messages and you'll find questions that that help unpack and give us some of the take-home messages that we can learn to apply in our lives today. But in this guide we have in a pictorial form this cycle that keeps on repeating up on the screen. If you go up into the top right-hand corner it's the rebellious stage. There is the, the people are rebelling against God again. And the cycle continues. Retribution happens. Punishment comes to them for ignoring God and just obeying themselves. It says there, under retribution, God allows his rebellious people to be overtaken by the surrounding nations. Then number three, there's the repentance part of the cycle. Repentance. The people repent sometimes. Sometimes they only regret what's happened to them. And then in four, we have the rescue cycle. God rescues his people. God sends a judge. And and through the judge, the work of the judge, the leading of the judge, God rescues his people. So last week, in chapter three, we saw God's people being rescued through this left-handed Ahud who assassinated Eglon, the king of Moab, because he had been oppressing the people and they were then in a period of peace for 40 years, a couple of generations, long time. But today we're going to see that the cycle starts again. And today we'll see that the cycle is actually recorded in two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5. And it's really, really interesting when you dig into this text to find out what happened. Because here God rescues his people again, but this time through two women. Two women. One a judge, Deborah, and one a homemaker, Jael. So Judges 4 is the narrative version. It's the telling of the story of what happened. And chapter 5 is a longer chapter and it's a more poetic chapter and it's actually the song version. Deborah's hymn, Deborah's song. Now why would chapter 5 record be in song? Well, just like those of us who have raised children, we know that if if you teach children something in, in rhyme, in song, they remember it. Same thing with us. Same thing back then. So Deborah wrote this hymn, this song, which the people sang so that they would remember what happened and why it happened and who delivered them, which was God again. So we're in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's pick up the story. It'll be on the screen as well. Again, the Israelites, these are God's people, the Israelites. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ahud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabim, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. 
Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now, Sisera's arsenal of 900 iron chariots was a huge military advantage that, that this king had in Canaan. And Sisera was actually the leader of this army. He was the one used by the king to, to bring all of this oppression on God's people. One historian said that these iron chariots were the tanks of the ancient world and could mow down dozens of foot soldiers. Chapter 4, verse 5, we read, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now Deborah was a prophet. And a prophet is a spokesperson for God. But she is also a judge who heard cases. She heard and ruled on disputes. And God had appointed her the leader of the people. So she was the leader of Israel and she was the leading judge, the actual court judge in Israel. And through her leadership, God responds once again to Israel's cry for help. Verse 6. She, Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Adonoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So we know what's happening. And then Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now this sounds like Barak is scared to go on his own, doesn't it? But as we will read further, we'll see that Barak doesn't shirk from his responsibilities, from his orders. He summons and he leads an army of 10,000 with the knowledge that the victory will not be attributed to him. And we know from chapter 5, the version there, we know that these people of Israel, these 10,000 soldiers, didn't really have any weapons to speak of. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking... The honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. And now the story digresses from the imminent action that we are expecting. We read here in verse 11, Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zan, that place, near Kadesh. Now, this detail will become significant as this historical event, event unfolds. 
When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Adonoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Now here's an important detail there. Sisera summoned all of his men, all of his men, and all of his 900 army tanks to the Kishon River, to the valley. That's at the base of Mount Tabor. It is a river basin. So this tells us that this is the dry season. No seasoned military leader like Sisera would set up for battle in a river basin during the wet season. This man is a proven strategist. Judges 4 verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now even though the odds are very much against Barak and his 10,000 soldiers, they are on the upside and they are heading downhill towards this flat area. But we know that they don't have really many cannons of their own. It's just their little measly pitchforks and whatever else they could find. And they get down to the, to the flat area. Because this is where Sisera can send his army and his chariots and just mow them down. But look what happens. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Now that's just a short sentence saying a lot of things, isn't it? Because we're expecting that Barak, Israel, is about to get annihilated by this mighty machine army coming down, coming over them. So what is happening? Well, from chapter 5, we get some clarifying information. We read in Judges 5, verse 4, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, from the heavens the stars, the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away the age-old river, the river Kishon. So God had brought rain. There was a deluge of rain. And the river basin had turned into a swamp and these iron chariots, they all got bogged. Now you've got to remember Sisera and his fellow Canaanites, they worshipped Baal and Baal is the storm god. So here are the Canaanites, this whole army, they're, they're being highly sensitive to omens and superstition, having woken up in the morning and they see a blue sky and then they see the army coming down and saying, let us at them, let us at them. And the next thing, it gets dark and there's rain and all of a sudden this rain falls down and all of their, their buggies and their, their chariots get bogged. And then in comes the army. And Sisera, the, the so-called leader of it, he runs away. He, he hightails out of it. So when we read here that at Barak's advance the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and the whole army, we realise that the word routed means that God threw these people into confusion. 
Because here they were thinking that surely they would have Baal, their, their god of storm, on their side, but instead it's the storm that's causing them to perish, to be annihilated. So in their confusion, they're confronted with the reality that their god, Baal, he isn't a god at all. Let's pick up the story again. Barak then pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth, Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Now, here, this, this little interlude that we had back in chapter 4, verse 11, here, Heber the Kenite returns to the story. And we're introduced to his wife, Jabel. And what transpires next shows the providence of God in a most unusual way. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is there anyone in there, say no. So here is this Sisera, this this leader of the Canaanite army. He's an evil man and he's being protected here. So he thinks. He presumes that he's safe hidden in the home of an ally. So he just goes to sleep. And he would not have expected what would happen next. Verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. No kidding. She nailed him. (laughs) Maybe that's where we get the expression from. But he's dead. Did you know that in Jael's day, it was common to live in tents? And setting up and taking down tents was considered the work of women. So Jael was very competent in using a hammer to drive in tent pegs. And she obviously had disagreed with her husband's decision to make a a pact, an alliance with Sisera's people. And God used her to bring an end to Israel's oppression. Friends, this this is a fascinating story. Yet, Yet, this is also a terrifying story. Because many of us read this and we wonder... How could God allow that to happen? Jael broke two of his commandments. She lied to Sisera, she deceived him, and then she murdered him. Are we able to excuse Jael for lying and murder? You know, there's a biblical principle that comes to the fore that we must consider. (coughs) 
When it comes to obeying God or man, who do we obey? God, always. God. Jael's husband Heber made an alliance with Sisera's king who was oppressing God's people. And we're about to read a little bit further on some of the graphic details showing the extent to which these Hebrews, this Israelite nation, was being oppressed. Jael, the wife of Heber, knew that Heber was sinning against God in making this alliance with God's enemies. And though it's hard to comprehend, but God's punishment towards Sisera for what he was responsible for was acted out through Jael's deceitful trickery and murder. Now think with me at other biblical stories that we're aware of. Think of the time of Rahab, you know, the, the, the prostitute. She hid two spies that Joshua had sent to this promised land before they had taken possession. Joshua sent some spies and said, just go and check out the land to see what we're up against before we enter. So they went in. They went specifically to Jerusalem. And there we see that Rahab had allowed the spies to find refuge in her house, but they were seen going into her house. So the king had sent officials to arrest these spies, knocked on her door, said, we want the spies. And she said, they've gone. They were here, but they've gone. She lied to the officials, saying that they had come and gone. And the whole time she was hiding them. Rahab clearly broke the ninth commandment, you shall not lie. And what about the Hebrew midwives? Think back in Egypt. You know the Hebrew midwives? Because the king of Hebrew was fearful that Israel was getting too big. You know, they, they were like the Dutch people. They bred and bred and had big families. So the king of Egypt says to the midwives, when, when these Hebrew women have baby boys, suffocate them. Well, we know from God's word that these Hebrew wives didn't suffocate them. They just lied to the king and said, seems to be all girls being born these last few months. Amazing. And what about the disciples of Jesus? Jesus has been crucified and he's gone to heaven and they start preaching all over the, 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 the area and then they are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the court, and they refused to obey man because they told her to be no more preaching. And they said, look, we cannot disobey God. This is what we read. Peter and the other apostles replied, this is in Acts 5:29. we must obey God rather than men. So there's a principle here. And that's why, friends, when we come back to the story, when we pick it up in the version of chapter 5 and verse 24, we read that most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. Now, in Hebrew idiom, when there is a two times the word blessing so close together, it's a double blessing, a double blessing of this woman. This woman is, is revered very highly by God. So we'll come back to the story. Here is Sisera lying in her tent, dead with a tent peg through his forehead. And we read now in Judges 4.22, just then Barak, 
right? Barak is the leader of God's people. He came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Verse 23. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. And that's how chapter 4 ends. Kind of just a bit abruptly. But it tells us the story of God working through Deborah to, do, to deliver God's people from the cruel, abusive oppression that was inflicted by Sisera and Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now, towards the end of chapter 5, we find descriptive information about the evil, oppressive torment that was inflicted on God's people by the Canaanites. And we will see more clearly God's justice, which in this instance is brought about via Jael. Deborah and Jael, two women who were available to God and used by God. Remember last week when Adam preached and he said, you know, God is not looking for those of us who think we have got all the abilities in the world to do what he wants. God is looking for us who are available And here a contrast is between the leader, the the nation's leader, Israel's leader, Deborah, the judge, and a housewife. Two women available to God and used by God to demonstrate again God's faithfulness to repentant sinners. In chapter 5, verse 25, it tells the graphic ending again of Sisera's life. And I want to read it because I want to highlight something towards the end of it, the last couple of lines. He, Sisera, asked for water and she, Jael, gave him milk in a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Now I want to explain in a moment the significance of this last part of what I just read, especially those that emphasis on there he lay, dead, at her feet, between her feet, at her feet. But in verse 28, the next verse in chapter 5, the focus switches now to Sisera's mother, right? Sisera's the dead guy. He's the one that's been oppressing all of God's people. The focus switches us to her. And I want you to picture this in your mind. I'll read this slowly. Judges 5 verse 28. Through the window peered Sisera's mother behind the lattice She cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? She's wondering, Where is my boy? Where's my son? Why is he taking so long? The wisest of her ladies answered her, Indeed, 
she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing their, the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colourful, colourful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck? All this is plunder? Do you hear the reason for why Sisera's mum thinks that her little boy is late? They must be enjoying the spoils. This was common. This is what they would do. A woman or two for each man. And oh, says mum, highly embroidered garments for my neck. A woman or two for each man. Can you believe this? What we, what we see here in this privileged mother's answer, which is also reflected in, in the answers from the wisest of her ladies, from her advisers, is the normal behaviour of Sisera and his soldiers toward the women of Israel. They are raping them. It's hard to hear that a mother can say that sort of thing, that a mother can justify that sort of behaviour. Surely this does your head in like it does my head in. But if we come back to the end of verses 26-27, we read that she, Jael, struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Now do you see the irony here? Sisera's mum thinks that, ah, oh, well, boys will be boys and that's what they do in wartime. They just, well, they're only the, God, the Israelites. They're enjoying women. Can you begin to understand why Jael was able to drive a tent peg through the head of an evil man that her husband had made a treaty with? Justice came to Sisera through the hand of Jael. And friends, when I, when I read this and when I think about this, I'm reminded of what God's Word says to all of us in Ecclesiastes and elsewhere in God's Word. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This truth is both comforting and very sobering. Comforting? We understand. So why do I say it's also sobering? Let's look at the final verse in chapter 5, which is how Deborah ends her song, recounting the events of chapter 4. She says, And the people sang, So may all your enemies perish, Lord. That sounds very harsh and it sounds even unchristian, doesn't it? That, that, a, that a state goes through their for, terrible, terrible picture. But she goes on, she says, But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace 40 years. Now friends, I've wrestled with this passage this week. I, I've looked at many, many commentaries. I kind of have a rule of thumb and I say it to Adam and to Ben and I say, look, stick to 
three at the most commentaries, because otherwise you get confused. Friends, I reckon I looked at ten. And, and just trying to get my head around, you know, what is the take-home message of this? Because some people just want to use this passage to, to talk about women leaders. Friends, this is not about women leaders. This is about God rescuing his people again. I got great insight from a lady, um, Jen Wilkin, excellent Bible teacher. Our, our care share ladies on a Friday morning, they, they study God's word and it's deep and, and they listen to this Jen Wilkin teaching and then they have questions they go through. Excellent material. So with the help of her insights and those of others, I've been able to understand this verse a little bit better. Especially the beginning short sentence. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. Deborah and Israel, God's people, saw the final punishment of Sisera and his army as a foretaste, as a preview of what God will do when his return comes and he finally conquers his enemies of all of the evil that we are infected with and have to endure. And this is what is meant when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're being reminded of, friends. You and I are going to be held accountable for how we live life. Where our faith really is will come to the fore. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this happening in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. So you see why I say this is such a sobering reminder? Judgment and justice is coming. It is coming. So as I close, let me ask, evaluate where you are in your cycle with God. I look at my life and there are times when I'm, I'm, I'm at either one, two, three or four. My life is not perfect. None of our lives are perfect. But where are you now on this cycle? God's judgment, listen to this, this God's judgment for our sin was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. If we trust Jesus, Our judgment day happened at the cross 2,000 years ago. And friends, we now stand forgiven and righteous before God because of Jesus Christ. And we have his spirit and he's called us to be difference makers in our community. 
And he's given us into this church, into this church family, into this imperfect church family, where sometimes you will get your nose punched and think, I'm going to leave this place because I don't like it. But friends, like any family, we've got to come back and we've got to love each other and make the most of it as we collectively go out and show this broken, hurting world, people who we care about, who are far from God, that one day... Judgment is going to come for them too. So let let us be encouraged as we go together into the community and be a witness for Jesus like God called Israel to be when he led them into the promised land. Now to those of us who have never trusted in Jesus Christ and you're kind of feeling, oh man, I've I've got to talk to someone about this. Maybe you need to talk to one of the pastors or a mature person in Christ that that you trust and and just do some business with God. So friends, what I want to do now is I'm going to just take us into a time of quiet and we're going to pray. And the musos are going to come and they're going to get ready to close our service but I want to lead us in a time of prayer because I believe that God is speaking to all of us. And he used Deborah and JL to remind us that God will use all of us when we're available to be difference makers to him. So let's pray. It is a fascinating story, Lord. But it's not a story for us just to think it's a story and we just go on as nothing happens, but... It reveals the truth, Lord, that one day justice will come and judgment will come. And it reminds us, Lord, that in Christ, through our faith in him, we have been forgiven already. So, Lord, as we now look at where we're on this cycle, I pray that you would just help us individually and personally do a stock take and come back to you. So church, let me encourage you to sit quiet before God. Holy Spirit, warm our hearts for you. Give us a passion a desire, a resolve, a conviction to go into the new week ahead of us, reminded of what you have done for us. And to be also, Father, conscious of the call that you have on our lives, to be available for you in whichever way you choose to use us. So we open ourselves to you, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for our church family. And we go now knowing You are the king. You are the victor. To you goes all the glory forever and ever. And all of God's people who agreed with his prayer said, Amen. Have a great week, church. God bless.